everybody it's been a couple weeks since we've done a podcast and why is that steve it's got a lot of stuff going on here there and everywhere and everywhere and you were just telling me before the broadcast uh some drama in the lovely city of san francisco oh i had the opportunity to go out to Liberal Central, otherwise known as the uh, San Francisco Bay Area, Oakland, uh, Berkeley Central, and it was, as anyone could ever imagine, horrible. Absolutely horrible. Now, why was it horrible? I mean, it's a lovely area. I mean, what's the problem? Well, you know, I think that that's one of the big misconceptions is that, you know, and and, and the a lot of the conversations I had out there with people from there uh, during my four-day trip was, you know, coming from the East and, you know, being a part of mainstream media who talks about San Francisco and, the you know, that whole Bay Area, I, I kind of, you know, the, the best way I can equate it being from Boston is, you know, you are too, is that this is a bigger version of West Coast Boston, right? Beautiful kind of old school mixing with the new school, like, you know, wealth going on, you know, a lot of good stuff, clean. It is absolutely the opposite of all those things. It is essentially San Francisco, from my experience, and this was everywhere from the financial district all the way through the Tenderloin district, was that it was like Central Square, Cambridge. Really? With just, but on steroids, like way worse, you know, I mean, Literally, in four days, we saw, you know, five to ten zombies, humans with, you know, uh, hypodermic needles either being held in their hands as they were begging for money or food, if you can even understand them, or they were actually in their skin and blood was pouring out of them and bleeding as they were walking around or begging or whatever they were doing on the train, on the street, in front of a store, uh, everywhere, everywhere. Everywhere. So district, like, it's, it's, the problem is mega. The closest thing that I can think of it is, you know, when I was breaking it down as being in L.A. and seeing Skid Row, if you're ever familiar with that place or term, as just homeless central in, in Los Angeles. Uh, and, and it was just that, but in San Francisco, it spread out everywhere, and it was mind-boggling. Interesting. So when you say it's a mega epidemic, not a MAGA epidemic. Not a MAGA, it's mega. MAGA would be on the path to the, to the right, right? Right. MAGA would be on a straight-edge path to uh, cleanliness. Fixing the problem. Fixing the problem. Yeah, that's very sad because San Francisco is a beautiful city. I've never been there, but everything I've heard and seen about it was good until you told me this. 
Yeah, it's no, but it's not though. Like it, it, you might you might have a couple pockets, but it's not real. Like it's just not a real thing, and it's it's crazy. And I think you know a couple of things that we pulled out of it is just the discrepancy in the the divide, the gap between the ultra rich, right, which is what we know of the technology folks, the finance folks out there, the venture, yep. and the the poor. Yeah, there really is no middle class. And so you just have this 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 discrepancy in the wages and the in the wealth there, and you know you're 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 a uh, you know making half a million dollars walking into the financial district, literally stepping over, uh, you know you know massive amounts of human being zombies. It's crazy. Wow. that's crazy. But isn't that what California wants? I mean, the the haves and the have-nots with a wide disparity. All of the rich Silicon Valley types, all of the Hollywood creatures, all of yeah, the politicians, and then everyone else is poor drug addicts. Yeah, they just they just they just get away. You know, they're they're able to escape out of their places. It's kind of uh, you know the it's kind of the fight against the left, quote unquote, in Hollywood. Whereas you guys, you know, you guys, whoever those guys are, right, the left in Hollywood. Or people who believe in them, you know, it's it's uh, you know open borders, but you all live behind ten foot walls around massive estates with right. security, technology, etc. Right. Right. Uh, so that it's it's kind of it's kind of fascinating, and it's it's very similar here in the San Francisco area, just probably more more uh, exposed, more exposed, more pronounced, more obvious, more pronounced. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's just really it was just really a fascinating situation for me. I, I'm not not anxious to go back anytime soon, Russ. Interesting, interesting. Now, now, how now? It's a it's a beacon of tolerance, though. So I would expect you went there and you were treated with respect because I mean you're a liberal, socially liberal guy. You go to San Francisco from Maine, like I, they they probably received you with open arms and they were very tolerant because that's that's you going from one leftist area to another. They were probably very tolerant the whole time. Well, more or less, you know, I'll tell you one of the best situations and conversations, probably the best that we had out there, uh, and I had to speak personally was with a fellow Mason brother, ah. who was also a brother. And it was great at five in the morning going from Oakland, like really gangster Oakland, where we stayed in an Airbnb, you know, to our venue uh, that evening or that, that morning at five in the morning, you know, having this 50 year old, uh, you know, black brother calling me the whitest guy ever brother in front of Marielle and her mother. Right. <laughs> You know, and Mario's mother is just fascinated by this whole situation, watching this black guy call me brother, right? And it was just... So a black a black Mason called a white dude brother. Oh, it's the greatest. Now, that's why, fantastic. You know, one of the reasons why I became a Mason is because that's just not a big thing. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's, a, that's what happens every day. You know, and we had a great conversation, and it was just that. We had the secret handshake, and that's what, you know, they saw, and they were just fascinated by that. And it's kind of confirming that you are a Mason and not just talking trash. Yep. Uh, and then the conversation after that was great. It was about race at 5 in the morning between this, you know, uh, black brother, fifty year old, and these uh, you know two Jews and a pilgrim white guy. Wow! Now, when you guys did the secret handshake, uh, did he have a really big dick? Um, well, 
Oh wait, no, I'm sorry. That's a different handshake. Never mind. You didn't hear anything. As you know, and I'm sure you expose yourself to that. That's more of the, the Catholic Church. <laughs> I walked into that joke on purpose. <laughs> you might have walked right into that one. Um, okay, so so that's very interesting. That you were able to meet a, a wildly different-minded people, or actually like-minded. But did you did you actually wear any MAGA gear when you were out there? And did they, were they nice to you? They probably were like, oh, it's all good, let's have a beer. It was cool, right? No, yeah, well, to be fair, I have gone. Yeah. I was walking around the city, and the thing that you, like, you know, from what my experience is watching all these videos is that, unless you're like, you know, you see all these things happening, but unless, like, you're at a protest or a rally, you know, it otherwise might just look like a red hat. And it's, like, people have a hard time to, you know, I don't want to say distinguishing it, but, you know, unless they're looking at you and seeing what it is, it's just there are people passing, right. you know, more or less. So that was kind of one experience until I stopped at a retail store. Uh-huh. And then, again, like, now you have the more probability of someone seeing exactly what you're wearing. And then in that case, I had a I had a, a brother come up to me and say, hey, I don't think you want to wear that here. That might not be a good idea. And that, I thought that was kind of nice. Well, was it, was it like, was he looking out for you? Or was it, we don't take kindly to strangers here? No, no, it was much more of a, it was much more a great question. It was much more of a friendly. Okay. Uh, you know, kind of, remember, in, uh, if, if you're a, uh, um, Bruce Willis, uh, what's his name? Um, you know, the German bad guys Christmas movie. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, yeah, I know I know what you mean. Why do I want to say Back to the Future? Cause it's no, Die Hard. Uh, Die Hard. Die Hard. Die Hard, like, three with uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Yep. It was kind of like that where he was being, I, I, I think I was in contact with you as, like, as I was telling you, I was wearing it, and then as it came off, like, not too long afterwards. Yep, that's exactly, that's probably the timing. So, but, um, well, I, yeah, and, and I heard some other random crap happen to you. Oh, I lost my, lost my bag, uh, on the train. No chance it was going to be re returned, you know. Uh, yeah, that's probably being used to buy, like, syringes right now. Oh, I no, no. I mean, that's kind of the problem, right, is that I would almost hope that, I mean, what's that, because that would be more of an entrepreneurial endeavor, but it's not because the lefties just give those away out there for free. Yep, yep. Well, that's a shame. That's a shame. You know what I'm saying? And that's kind of like maybe one of the big issues that people have out there with those people. Yep. Yep. Interesting. So Interesting. Overall, for me, and I can only speak for me, right? San Francisco, no bueno, not a good time, not excited to go back at all. Interesting. If anything, I was excited that it gave me some JetBlue points uh, on my JetBlue card. Uh-huh. But I, I heard San Diego is where it's at. It's funny you said that, because I heard from somebody today that San Diego was like another, like, really uh, kind of a legal immigrant haven that it really bothers some people. Yeah. Interesting. Because there's more conservatives in San Diego. I think 
that California as well, I just heard it literally as today is the breaking news is that California just voted to keep itself as a state, as a sanctuary state. As a sanctuary right. state, correct. Correct. I mean there you go, right? I mean that's what yeah. I need to know. But and I don't I don't know if you saw it today, but this is this just happened where um, Nancy Pelosi was at some type of DACA event. And she was shouted down. I mean, it was an event where she was there to support the pro-DACA crowd. And the crowd surrounded her. And she started trying to, you know, raise her voice and talk. And everybody started shouting her down. And she got very scared and started shaking violently. Really? And she was, she was like, you guys aren't here to talk. You're not here to listen to ideas. You're here to just shout me down and, and not be adults. And for one of the few times I actually sided with her, but I'm like, the this is your fucking crowd, Nancy. Yeah, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Ross. Isn't that her crowd? Exactly. The, it's one of those moments where you want to scream, these are your people. So, like, I, I this is this is this goes part and parcel with some of the Trump stuff we talk about where everyone's losing their mind on the left. No one's thinking rationally. They're starting to eat their own. And it's very amusing to watch because now, as you saw the pivot last week where Schmuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi um, were now willing to work with Trump because Trump basically said, hey, Republicans, you pussies couldn't pass, repeal, and replace. You've been threatening to do it for seven years, but it turns out you're the party of no ideas. The Democrats are the, the, Democrats are the party of bad ideas. So you get those two together, and Trump's basically, this is like, when you break up with a girl and uh, you go out on a date with her sister the next week, you know this is exactly what Trump's doing to the Republicans. He he's telling them he's like, you guys don't want to pass laws. You have the House, you have the Senate, you have the Supreme Court, you have the White House. The ball is like you have home field advantage. You have possession arrow. You have every sports analogy. And you guys are breaking free throws. You guys. Oh God! They're shooting. Like, they're shooting air balls. They're like, there's a breakaway, but they miss layups. Uh, they'll kick the ball off their their shoe, and yeah, it goes it's into like, the. It's, it's almost like it's almost like you guys are throwing the fucking game. Oh like, my God! Socks, right? It's almost like the GOP lowercase e for establishment needs the Democrats to exist so that they can pretend to hate each other. It's, it's very strange how that works, and it's very true, because what you said, Steve, is exactly why we are red-pilled and others aren't, because we get it. We get and I've, I've used this analogy before, the establishment two-party system, their job is to keep the ball between the 40-yard line. You know, they never, they just do a run up the middle, they don't do anything really innovative, they just like to keep, keep the ball between the 40-yard lines. That's right. And if you make a breakaway in any direction, whether you know to the right with a <clears throat> a nationalist Trump guy, or you go to the left with like a socialist Bernie, they don't want either. They want you to just stay around midfield. That way, they stay in power. The uh, you know Chamber of Commerce gets their gets what they need from the Republicans. Uh, you get the amnesty crowd for the Democrats. Uh, you don't need voter ID. You can get all these people uh, voting that half of, you know, I wouldn't say half. There's no way to quantify it. But when Trump says something like, oh, 3.5 million people voted illegally, 
yeah, that number is probably bogus, but I'll be damned if it's not more than a million. You know, we know that there's voter fraud. We just saw in New Hampshire 3,500 or so ballots that were fraudulent. Um, you know, voter voter fraud exists. Um, you know, Chamber of Commerce trying to get low wage exists. You know, trying to get amnesty DACA voters in so that they all become Democrats for the future. That exists. Like, this is all, this isn't rocket science, guys. It's all real stuff. It's 100% real stuff. And I think a lot more people are getting woke to it um, since, since uh, at least since we, we talked last. Um, people are starting to get hit to the game. Like, okay, Trump, we may not like him. He's an asshole. I don't like his personal life. But you know what? He hates both sides. And I think he hates them both equally. And we dodged a bullet with Hillary not getting in. And he's going to do things that no one else has thought of. Doesn't mean he's smarter than everyone else. I do believe his IQ is extremely high. But this is a guy that's given donations to both parties. He exposed the game. Um, both parties hate his guts. And he's, you know, as Alex Jones says, he may go sideways sometimes, which I don't like. He's done that a little bit with the State Department, some of the Middle Eastern stuff. I don't like that, but you and I don't like it the second it happens, so we're not I thought of as homers. Um, but what he's doing for trade, what he wants to do for the economy, what he wants to do for the tax rates, what he wants to do with the borders, that's all legit. It's all sound and fiscal policy. It is. It is. And so I think what he's, and, and not to jump around here, but this whole DACA stuff, um, wanted to touch on DACA a little bit. I mean, what Obama did was he did an unconstitutional, you know, stroke of the hand, executive action. As the executive actions, by their very nature, are unconstitutional. So that's why I—I I don't want to speak for you, Steve, but I, I don't—I always cringe whenever any president, Republican or Democrat, does an executive order because it means they're overstepping Congress. And I—I I like things to be bound to a constitutional process and to legislative process and something vetted out in front of the Senate and the House, and then you sign it based on a certain number of votes, and then the president signs into the law, and that's kind of the system working itself out. And if you don't like it, vote out the people that signed it, and then the pendulum can go in the reverse direction so no one has a coronary every four to eight years. That's right. Uh, what, what Obama did with DACA was he just executive action signed into law. I get it. When your guy's not in the White House, you're going to have to deal with executive actions. It was okay when Obama did it. Now that Trump's doing it, the left hates it. Um, because they hate it. Oh, they hate it. So what Trump basically did was he said, well, I don't like the fact that Obama did an executive action to grant these 800,000 DACA people, you know, soft touch, light touch amnesty. I'm going to nullify it and ask Congress to work together to think of a better way to do it. And then whatever happens, happens. And then, in other words, he's saying, I want it to go through the congressional process. I love, I love how we push it back on Congress. Like, he's such a smart, actual statesman for doing that, right? Yeah. He's saying, do your friggin' job. That's right. Do your actual job. Brian, shut the door, please. Wait, I'm going to brush my teeth in here. Don't. You're going to brush your teeth in the other bathroom. Do your job, Brian. Do your job, boy. Brian, can you please? We have two other bathrooms you can be doing this in. Oh, wait, I'm too personal. I beat it. Scram. Yeah. I pay for three bathrooms in this house. 
So, but yeah, but 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 to your point, like Donald Trump's making them do it the old-fashioned way through legislation, through working together. I mean, I you know, what does George Carlin say? Whenever you hear the word bipartisan, it usually means a bigger scheme than usual is afoot. But if they can make it work, it, and I think what Trump's done is he's he's worked DACA to get what he wants with the wall. I don't know how people couldn't see that. He does. He didn't think he was getting enough progress on building the wall. So he kind of dangles the DACA fruit, and he gets Congress talking again. He gets Schumer and Pelosi to take the bait. He's meeting with them. They're now thinking, ooh, he's going to work with us on DACA. The news outlets go crazy, right? And they say, oh, he's, he's going to cave on DACA. There's no indication he's going to cave on DACA. And if he does cave, which is not the end of the world, he sure as fuck better cave for a wall. And I think he's going to get a wall. He wrote Art of the Deal. He's going to get the best deal. Remember the deals before with Obama and Bush and Clintons of the world. When they do a deal, both parties win, but the people lose, right? Or, or, or one side leaves saying, wait, you just gave them the farm, and we got nothing in return. So I think what Trump's doing is saying, well, let's let both parties feel a little bit uncomfortable, and let's let the people get what they want. They got light-touch amnesty, I mean, if I were, you know, for personally, the 800,000 DACA, I would double the stringent guidelines. If anyone happened to have a criminal record up to that point, they get deported automatically. Make it more stringent where if you're a higher earning income person, you can stay. If you haven't paid a cumulative tax over a certain percentage, you're out. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. Maybe that's what Trump incorporates. And in return for that, they can stay. They can do a very arduous path to citizenship. And, oh, by the way, the Democrats sign off on funding for a wall. I mean, that's that's making a deal. If the Republicans were, you know, negotiating this, they would have been like, okay, amnesty, cool. We don't even need a wall. We'll just put some more barbed wire up. And that's how, like, Paul Ryan would trumpet a deal. And the people that voted for a wall are going to be like, what the fuck? Like, you just did what? <laughs> but but they have Trump. We have Trump negotiating for us. And Trump said it's a non-starter if we don't get a wall. It's a non-starter. So when you hear the New York Times or the Washington Compost or the Chicago Tribune, LA Times saying, oh, you know, news has come out that Trump is going to cave on everything and DACA will become an amnesty program, th that's just to lose his base. His base is not going to go for that. He knows that. He dangles tweets out to see what the reaction is. You have people burning MAGA hats right now, which, again, I, I'm not one of those type of theatrical people that does that kind of stuff on either side. But burn those, those MAGA hats if he does actually sign off on amnesty. If he doesn't do it, you're, you're acting theatrically like a liberal. So it's very interesting. But this is like you and I, Steve, we can read this stuff very easily. It's not because we're smarter than the average bear. It's because we're friggin' awake and aware, and like we we see where this we see where this is going. Agreed. So I don't know. Let 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 the left and and quite frankly, let the theatrical right freak out about it. Let them. You know, I've learned that you know our blood pressure is going to spike in politics if we're not careful and we can stroke out. Um, wait till information actually, the dust settles on something. Wait till a law is signed. Wait till there's a press conference and an announcement on something. Then you can react. But if, if there's back and forth information and you're hanging on every word and you're having heart palpitations, that's probably not a good way to conduct yourself. 
So I'm not even going to get emotionally involved in the DACA stuff until Trump says, I have signed a deal. Here's the PDF. Read it. Here's a summary. Read that. And this is what we're going to do. And oh, by the way, your wall is now funded. You're welcome. And I'll be able to digest DACA a lot better if I know that 25% of those people have been deported because they didn't live up to their end of the bargain. And if I, if I find out that, yeah, the ones that are left over are going to be productive taxpaying members of society, you know, that, that I, you can win people like me over that way. So that's, that's my take. Your thoughts? Where does it stand right now? Right now what they've done is they've said, okay, and I, and I kind of agree with Trump on this. If you're in the program, government has been, is going to continue to support you just like the, the way it was drafted up for the next six months while Congress gets something together. He also did it in such a fashion where Congress, if you're a Republican and you claim to be a drain-the-swamp Republican, you now need to draft or propose or support legislation that gets the wall that's tough on DACA. So if you're like a squish Republican, an establishment Republican, you're going to get exposed before the election of 2018. So he's actually been very smart about it and said, look, you guys have to you guys have to make a big decision and be an adult right before you run for re-election. Make sure you're on the right side of history. Or you're gonna get Trouble. voted the hell out. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that's that's what he's doing. He's honoring the people because I, I get it. Like if you're in DACA. You got an executive action, whether constitutional or unconstitutional. We know it was unconstitutional. But you were given a set of assurances from government that you're going to be okay. <laughs> the funny part is all these people are like, well, wait a minute. You're telling me I can't even trust my own government? And, and, and I'm like, no shit, Sherlock. No, you should never fucking trust your own government. Yeah, exactly. You like, dickhead. What? You what? jackass. So, so that's where DACA stands right now. Honestly, I think Trump will, to get funding for the wall, he will make the guidelines stricter. So you hear the basics. Oh, you, ha you need to have no criminal record. You need to be gainfully employed. Uh, he'll toss in something like no welfare for five years. I love that. Um, you know, you need to have been paying taxes, blah, blah, blah. Functioning member of society, blah, blah, blah. Some of that was already in the bill. I want Trump to go further, because if you're going to do any type of amnesty, you need to make sure that it's the strictest guidelines ever. And there's an article by Ann Coulter. I know you may not like her, Steve, but she brings up a brilliant point. Every time Republicans negotiate with the Democrats on amnesty, the Republicans end up getting bitten in the ass, where the Democrats say, okay, if you sign up for our short-term request, we'll help you in the long run. And the three times it's happened in the past, most notably with President Reagan in 1986, the Democrats never did their end of the bargain, never fulfilled their end of the bargain, which is why Republicans are so bitter and butthurt about it, and as they should be. You know, the Democrats promise, as long as they, as long as, and this is how human nature is, give me what I want in the short term, and I promise I'll help you in the long term, right? How many times have we done that in our life, right? Show me. Oh, can you just give me a ride? You know, uh, something happened, I'm in a bind, I'm in a pickle. Can you just pick my kid up from school today? I'll get you next time. And then it's your time to pay the piper, and you, you are excuse-fill USA. You can't do it. 
Oh, uh, you know, remember that time you babysat for my kid when I was in a pinch? Yeah, I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to do you a solid. That's how the Democrats are when it comes to amnesty. I'm sure the Republicans are like that in other areas, but for DACA, the Republicans are playing hardball because they've been burned three times in the past. So that's why DACA is going to get ugly, and I hope it does get ugly. I don't care. Um, you know, Steve, you and I are legal citizens. Our family are legal citizens. I don't give a shit about the DACA plight. Never have. Are you going to be a productive member of my society? Are you going to pay taxes? That's, that's what I care about. And are you going to love your country? Are you going to speak English first? Are you going to do pro-America things? Are you going to be burning a flag? Are you going to be being an asshole? Are you going to shout down people because of uh, amnesties? Not, they're not doing uh, the amnesty that you want? You need to shut the fuck up, get in line, assimilate, and then we can start... You're an American and that you're here on this soil. Right. You're not feeling. Right. I want you humping, I want you humping the ground that you walk on. Because you're oh blessed. Oh my god! Wait, can we can we also apply this to like real Americans and say, listen, if you're not happy and you're so unhappy here with the way things are run and the president, let's pay for you to move out. Yep. Well, I like that. You know, at first, at first, people say, oh, that's kid table. That doesn't that doesn't address anything. But you know what, Steve? During the Bush years, you didn't like the president, but you loved your life. Much like I didn't like the president during the Obama years, but I loved my life. Right. You can still have a happy life depending on who's at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, right? You can still have a good life, right? You don't have you don't have to be all triggered because you don't have a president in office that you don't like, right? I had to I had to be honest though, so I try to keep myself honest on the record. Yep. Is that someone pointed out to me? A good friend of mine pointed out to me is that during the second Bush election, once we knew what we got into, yep, and we actually saw. He and his administration through Catherine Harris in Florida steal that election. Yep. I was actually using the type of language that is he was very much during Democrats in this last election saying, if George Bush wins, I'm leaving and going to Mexico. Yep. Which, let's be honest. And I did. And I have to really admit, I did that, and then I didn't fuck off and go to Mexico, I'll tell you that. Yep. Or Canada, or wherever I said yep. I go. Well, that's the thing. You like you get caught in the moment, and we can, we, you know, we're self-deprecating. I remember on election night, I was like, fuck you, Philadelphia. All you pieces of shit voting for Obama so you can get your handouts and your Obama phones. I hope you get bombed by ISIS to- or Al-Qaeda tomorrow because ISIS didn't, because CIA hadn't created ISIS yet. Um, and, and, I, and I'm like, you know, I got called out on it and I was like, hey, you know what? Maybe being violent to people I don't like isn't a good idea. Because you're no better than the shitheads we're making fun of now. Agreed, and that's why I bring it up because I want to be honest on the record. Yeah, we're because we're honest. We're honest brokers, right? Yeah, therefore I can appreciate how you can get there and how you can be there. But I mean, to be fair, it's like at least in our situation, like George Bush actually brought us into actual wars. Correct. Actual, like, yeah. We weren't, we weren't minority reporting George Bush being like, well, he's going to bring us into wars, and so therefore I'm really upset about what we might do. Yeah, because that, that's all Trump at this point. Everything that people make fun of Trump for, it's all hypothetical shit. The stuff he's actually signed, I mean, life still fucking goes on. Correct. Life goes on, and if you're an illegal, I, I hope you're, you're, you have tight butt cheeks when you go to bed. I hope you're nervous. I hope you're, you're expecting a knock on the door. You're not following the fucking rules, you know? But I, I can honestly say, like, my life wasn't really affected with Obama. My taxes went up, but 
I could still conduct myself in a normal fashion. When Bush was president, I got an $1,800 check in 2008. They did that whole check program for each member of your family or something like that. That, has, and that, that so that's money in the bank. So that was good. But you know, the more I the more I get older, the more I realize presidents domestically can't really control the economy. They can control tax rates by pushing for legislation. Um, but it's all about foreign policy. Like if they choose to send people to war, that's a tangible thing that you can judge them on. So that's why when I when I look back on the Bush years, the economy was going to do that if Al Gore won. The economy was going to do that if John Kerry won. But would we have gotten Iraq with Al Gore? Would we have gotten Afghanistan with Al Gore? I don't would, think so. Would we have gotten Would we have gotten Libya and Syria with McCain? Maybe those would have been worse, right? So I don't though, 100%. so that's the judgment for me is you know domestically, can you get the economy moving? Can you do something about tax rates? They tweak it. Sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. It's very elastic, so if something happens, it's a big impact to the economy and the GDP, unemployment rate. Um, can you support and protect our borders? Or are you going to be like Obama, who brags about deporting more people than ever before, but he changed the formula of what calculates what a de deportation is? Right? So do you get cute with the metrics so that you're... you're your side can say, well, we're doing better than the previous guy, but we're not going to mention the fine print where we change the actual methodology. I had someone say that to me like, oh, you're tough on Obama's immigration policy. He's, he's deported more people than ever before. Well, what they're not telling you is that in his first term, he changed the formula and metric by which we judge deportations. Before, deportation was you cross the border you get into the interior of the country, we catch you, we tag you, we kick you out. That's a deportation. What Obama then did was say, okay, let's change it. If we meet you at the border and stop you at the border, that counts as a deportation. So no matter what, no matter what, your numbers are going to go up, right? Your deportation numbers are going to go through the roof. If you stiff arm someone at the Mexican one-yard line, that now counts as a deportation. So when you change the numbers, when you move the goalposts so that you can have better metrics to make your base look more excited, um, i got to call you out on that. So, so that's, that's the kind of stuff that we see. That's what these politicians do. I think Trump, Trump needs to own his successes because when those numbers turn around, uh, he's going to get pulverized, right? And we've talked about before where, yeah, I know you know that the stock market's in a bubble and it's gone to 22.4 thousand on the Dow, which is about a 20% return on the year, which is great, but we still know it's a bubble. Trump gets to celebrate and do the end zone dance now, but when we crash, which usually crashes tend to happen September, October of each year. Um, I don't know. We've been hearing about a crash for years, but we know it's going to happen. The question is, who gets to own it? Um, is it this year, Ross, or is it next year? You know, it's it's hard to tell because you're not going to get a crash unless there's a big one of the one of the cycles has to bust. So you have private debt bubble, you have a stock bubble, you have a consumer what debt. What about the used car and new car bubble? That oh well, that's starting to pop. A lot of delinquencies now, right? A lot of 
a lot of auto delinquencies. But the thing is, it's one thing for a housing bubble to pop and people are defaulting on that kind of stuff. I don't think an auto default is that is going to be as, as bad because there's public transportation, there's Uber, you know. That's not gonna. That's not gonna cause a crash if auto loans aren't getting paid right. I think the right. delinquency rate's about fourteen percent, which is a very high number. I think that the average is typically seven to ten. Um, and if you saw the Big Short from a home delinquency perspective, anytime that number gets above four point five or five, you're up Shit's Creek. Um, but. But yeah, I don't know. They're really kicking the can on the economy. And that's the stuff I yelled at Obama about. That's the stuff I'm yelling at Trump about. Like, you gotta, if you really want the economy to turn around, and we're not pretending to be amateur economists here, but Trump knows it. He gets it. I mean, he sold his stock in June 2016 because he thought the stock market was going to tank. Um, but I think they're keeping it alive. And they're slowly starting to goose up interest rates, which means that the economy typically cools after that. GDP is arcing upward, believe it or not, because we are getting the economy, the engine, moving again. Uh, we're, and, and again, that was Obama could have done that instead of just throwing money at something. He could have just said, let's make the conditions ripe so that companies come back. We've talked about this millions of times before. Trump's now actioning that times 10. So the more countries that set up shop here, the companies that come and shut up shop here, the better off we are because people are employed, their families are employed, their kids are employed. More money cycling through the economy, the GDP goes up. I mean, 3% is the new number that we think is now unattainable because I don't think we have the, er the inertia to do it anymore. But Trump, if he gets what he wants from the corporate tax rate, reducing it to 15%, 18%, he's going to get his 3% GDP and more. And that guarantees a 2020 re-election. So it's a very interesting time. I don't know what the um, what the pin prick's going to be. I mean, we've talked about this for a couple years now, Steve, behind there's the scenes. So, well, the, the scary part is there's so many things that it could be. Right? Yeah. Could I mean, it? That's, I mean, that, that tells you all you need to know about the overall landscape of what's actually happening and what's coming down the pike. Right. And, and could it be, I mean, last year the hot thing was Deutsche Bank. Is Deutsche Bank going to go under? Because if Deutsche Bank goes under, think of Lehman Brothers times 10. And what they did was they propped it up by the DOJ threatening to, you know, the $5 billion charge for lawsuit settlement was reduced, and that allowed them to keep propping their price up because the pain wasn't as bad. And then they've begun cratering again. Um, the derivative markets, $1.6 quadrillion of, I think, notional value. Uh, sovereign debt bubble is bad. You have economies and, and actual countries that are bankrupt. More and more EU bankruptcy for the... The pigs nations, Portugal, Ireland, Italy, Greece, Spain, their shitholes. Uh, Iceland, the first country to crash and then fire everybody, that the bankers and the politicians, and just got a PM. Or they, they were on the up and up for the last eight years, and now it just broke that they're, I think their prime minister was a child molester. So, 
So, so Iceland is back in panic mode. Um, it's, it's very interesting. And I don't know. I mean, we hear that China's trying to shut down Bitcoin. Uh, Venezuela's leaving the petrodollar. Interesting. Uh, China is starting to jockey and get their own cryptocurrencies moving. Um, you know, the, they're, they're not playing currency games anymore. In fact, actually, I, I noted the, I think the yuan was trading at 6.99 when Trump got in or something. Let's round up to seven. It's now strengthened to like 6.49 or 6.5, which I always screw this up and get it backwards. But the, the, the China yuan is getting, is strengthening. Trump always lambasted them for de uh, depreciating their currency, devaluing their currency. But now they're starting to strengthen, which to me tells me they're actually kind of scared of what Trump's been threatening and they don't want to do it. So they're right. strengthening their currency. Um, that's the kind of stuff that you don't see on the 6 o'clock news. That's the kind of stuff that Fox and Friends isn't going to cover, that morning schmo is not going to cover because they just assume everyone's too stupid to understand. So it's very interesting. I don't know what the, what the um, facilitator is going to be. Uh, it could be North Korea. But again, is that, that waxes and wanes and that's a roller coaster every week, right? I mean, that, that, how many times going back to the Obama years, the Bush years, the Clinton years, how many times does North Korea flex its muscles, they do a little dick measuring, then they put their little dick back in their pants and they go waddle away. Uh, they've done that about 45 times through four different administrations. Totally. And we've never hit them with anything. Um, I don't know if Trump's going to do anything. I, I, my wife actually pointed out to me, I said, oh, I'll bet South Korea or Japan's going to attack them. Japan's not allowed to attack. Right? They're not, after World War II, they're not allowed to defend themselves. They have to rely on other countries to defend them, right? Right, that's true. So, so cross Japan off the list of countries that are going to do something about North Korea. They're cucked. They can't do anything. It now leaves it to South Korea, China, Russia um, to do something about it. And I, Trump knows, he gets it, that if he does anything to North Korea, they're going to drop nukes on South Korea, they're going to attack Guam, they're going to attack Hawaii, uh, and most importantly, they're going to use an EMP to take out the West Coast. So... Is, is that the master plan? I think the master plan, they all get sidetracked with nukes and Guam. I don't give a fuck about Guam. Um, I know people do. Fine, I get it. Um, but people are going to forget about Guam the second an EMP goes off. And the West Coast, Oregon, Washington, California, all go dark. They all go. It's a big blackout. You're gonna Jeez. stop. You're gonna stop caring about fucking Guam real quickly. You're gonna stop caring about the plight of Hawaiians real quickly, and South Koreans and Seoul, Korea, South Korea. You're gonna stop caring about them because your power is gonna be out for years. And that's what an EMP is going to do. That's the part that, I mean, you and I know about EMPs, but the average person doesn't know about electromagnetic pulses and what they can do and 
how they're already being tested and how they've been implemented. Rossi, but people are still getting their power back in Florida from Irma. Yep. That was like, what, a week or two ago? Yeah, that was a week and a half ago. Oh, boy. So there are some people without power right now in Florida because of Irma. So yep. to your point, you're saying up to a year that that could be gone. Up to a year. I mean, Puerto Rico from Irma lost power for months in some areas. Like, their internet's still down in a lot of areas of Puerto Rico. Um, so, so yeah, so you think, you think, I mean, you're able to live more off the grid than the average schmo. But in general, I mean, you look at Americans, and I'm guilty of this too. Like, you can't go without your creature comforts for too long before you want to either get a hotel or ca- right. call your mommy and daddy and, you know, suck on your thumb or do something. But imagine Californians, imagine... Orange County or San Francisco, L.A., any of the major cities and hubs, when power's gone, I mean, the average human goes crazy after three days. They go stir-crazy. Imagine across the West Coast entirely. Where are they going to go? What are they going to do? I don't know. Where where are they going to get their granola? Where where are they going to get gas? You saw the gas lineups. People couldn't get out of Florida fast enough. The traffic jams. It was disaster. So picture that with an electromagnetic pulse. Picture the chaos of Sandy and Irma uh, and Harvey and multiply that by 10 and then extrapolate across a year or two before you get power back. And it's going to be a disaster. So that's North Korea beyond just the little missile shooting in South Korea. That's, that's like child's play compared to an EMP. Um, not to mention Fukushima fallout in the water, but now, you know, but I'm just saying the West coast is fucked. So, uh, you know, I, I don't see Trump accelerating uh, or, or, uh, expediting that process. I don't see him accelerating things, making them worse. He's just going to use tough talk. You're going to see, you're going to see more missiles being shot over Japan they're just going to get bigger and bigger and they're going to go farther and farther and Trump's not going to do anything. I don't want him to do anything. Like, you know, the 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 jingoist in me wants him to blow up uh, Kim Kim Jong-un, but the the pragmatist in me says, look what it's going to be get. It's going to be get an EMP on the people that didn't vote for him anyway. Um, I don't know. It's it's like, like, it's like what are you going to do about it? Like, what, what are you going to do about Kim shooting missiles? What are you going to do about it? You can't do anything. You're going to sanction him? He doesn't care. He eats well. He's the fattest person in North Korea. So, yeah, that's just my take. I, I don't see Trump es- uh, escalating things. So I, like, what do you, what, do you think he's going to do something? You still there? Hello? Hopkins, you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, where were you? Oh, I was just on mute while you were talking. Oh, okay. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts? Do you think you think he's going to do anything, or is he just going to let it let it ride and they'll just talk tough until the cows come home? I think it's more of the talking tough position. I think that that's kind of more of the instinctual nature of where I go towards it. Yeah. What do you think? No, I I, I agree. I, he's he's just going to build. They'll talk, they'll saber rattle, 
I hate using the word posturing. That's just a DC word. Um, I think you see a lot of I think you see a lot of uh, Donald Trump playing politics though with a lot of this stuff and it's driving people crazy because it doesn't know where to send them because they're so used to you know the quote unquote politicians playing you know uh, uh, sports ball. Yep. That they're going nuts when he's like, "Oh well, screw you, Republicans! You guys had seven years to figure out." Uh, you know, a repeal or replace, and you couldn't do anything. You're the party of no ideas. Right, and then, and then what's... Get together with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and take photo ops and actually look like I'm working with them, and they can, they get a lot of flop, or, you know, back, uh, backlash for that, too, even though right. they're all, like, supposedly working. Right. And, and what is... So, so play, play that out, though. Like, what does it mean? It means you have an electorate and a base that's just confused. They're all infighting. I love it, though. Because it gets people at least thinking and saying, wait a minute, don't... I love it, yeah. Me, me too, I love it. Well, I love him because I feel like that's another part of the troll, right? Yep. Because it's, it's like a great troll is doing good things too and he's looking, what, what, what are you going to hate me for this? Like, yep. I'm working with the other side. This is what you guys said I wouldn't do. Here right, right, exactly. Like much with the pivot with Antifa where he's, he called them out from the beginning knowing full well they were going to act up in the next two weeks and they did exactly to oh, a T. Yeah, yeah, and it's fun to watch because uh, you can you can call it before it even happens. Uh, much like so, so really, we're at the fifty minute mark. Maybe we'll go another ten minutes, but because uh, I'm gonna release this Tuesday early evening. Um, breaking now is like we said was gonna be. We sat. Yeah, actually, we said this a couple episodes ago. That tweet about. Trump being pissed that Trump Tower was wiretapped, and then all of the talking heads coming out and saying, Trump proven false on the wiretapping thing. That was all made up. Sources say, this source says, that source says, there was no wiretapping at Trump Tower. Well, guess what broke right before we started taping? Paul Manafort, former campaign advisor, whose residence is, guess where, during the campaign, Trump Tower, was wiretapped, was wiretapped, and had been wiretapped since 2014, before he was even on the, the team. Um, now, you asked me before, is this legal, illegal? I don't know yet. I, they had asked for, uh, I think it was a FISA warrant, or FICA warrant, FISA warrant or something like that, that was not granted. So therefore, um, if, if a certain warrant does not grant, get granted, you can't do it. Um, but, but Manafort, while living at Trump Tower, was wiretapped. And I think I said this back when it was happening with the whole Donald Trump Jr. thing. I think why, uh, Manafort was wiretapped for that meeting, with the, the infamous meeting with the Russian um, diplomat, the Russian ambassador person, that lawyer. I think he was wiretapped for that discussion as a trap to get him to say something. It didn't work because the meeting was a nothing burger. Um, and that, I believe, we will be... That was my theory from the start, and I think it's going to be playing out true. Um, but Manafort was indeed wiretapped. Mike Flynn, who's now fighting for his political life here, he's, he's uh, drafted the equivalent of a, of a political GoFundMe because all of the... The legal charges mounting against him is above and beyond anything he can he can afford to pay back. 
And this is a good, good general and a, an, an, ad, an admirable American um, who was also wiretapped um, about the whole sanctions thing. And it, it came out that he didn't even really talk about sanctions. He just talked about the topic of sanctions and how he's free to talk about sanctions after Trump gets in. That was enough for all the chaos to hit. Um, we hear also that Kushner may have been wiretapped, that Sean Hannity may have been wiretapped, that Roger Stone may have been wiretapped, that Alex well, Jones Hannity, was wiretapped. Hannity, hold on, let's pause. Hannity had, has made it clear that if that comes out, he's going to use his full force and like money and everything to go after the people that did that. that As correct? he should. That's correct. That's correct. Um, and I, I remember listening to InfoWars the day this stuff broke. Um, Jerome Corsi, who's an investigative reporter with InfoWars and DC Bureau, uh, actually showed the list of people to Alex Jones of who was wiretapped, who was unmasked. And Alex Jones saw his name. He saw phone numbers that no one else knew about to some of his uh, other offices. Uh, he saw phone numbers that he reconciled to Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago house. Uh, Donald Trump's cell phone was on there. This is before he even announced he was running. Um, so this stuff goes back a couple years. It's so illegal, man. It's so it's fucking illegal. illegal. And, and you go back, and the chief unmaskers here are Susan Rice and Ben Rhodes. These are all inner circle Obama people since 2012. I mean, Susan Rice has been around for, for six, seven years. Uh, she was the one that told us Benghazi was but about a YouTube video. So obviously her credibility in front of a microphone is very low. Um, she originally said two months ago that she had never unmasked anyone unlawfully uh, and that she did not know that she was unmasking anybody. It turns out today that, she, or this week, she's admitted that, yeah, she, she unmasked a little bit more than she had initially told us. And who she, who she unmasked is the crazy part because it's all of these high-ranking conservative media people. Um, and the amount of people that were unmasked is disgusting. And they're, most of them are conservatives. And why would you unmask Alex Jones? He's a radio personality. What you see is what you get. It's a three, four-hour broadcast. That's all out in the open for everybody. But they did it to Manafort, Alex Jones, Roger Stone, uh, rumors of Kushner, rumors of Donald Trump Jr. We know that Trump Sr. was unmasked. We know that multiple phone numbers that no one else knows about Alex said some of the numbers that Trump would call him on, uh, the caller ID would match up to some of the numbers that were unmasked. I mean, that is a that is an egregious overstepping. And my, my, my opinion is that because they are the purveyors of the real 1984. Correct. And, and remember, who was Susan Rice? She was the former head of the NSA. Um, and that's why we have to... And Mike Flynn was going to be the head of the NSA until he stepped down, because he wanted to clean things up. He wanted all of them coordinating a lot better. He didn't want them overreaching anymore, because he saw what they were doing to everyday Americans, or Americans that owed a debt, or Americans that they wanted to get dirt on, Americans they wanted to have some type of leverage over, whether it's a high-ranking lawyer that may prosecute someone, they wanted to get leverage. So the NSA worked hand-in-glove to enable this. And they're getting exposed. And you know, it's a media blackout. No one's talking about it. NSA overreaching. I mean, this is after the heels of the Obama administration where he took deep state Big Brother to the next level. 
and Bush wasn't so impressive either with the Patriot Act. So one begets the other. We finally have guys in place that'll stop it. Mike Flynn was a true patriot. He wanted to reverse all that shit and refocus on pure terrorism. And we're not going to do anything until we have a warrant in hand. And we're not going to go spying on everyday people. That was like against anything the deep state wanted to do. They didn't want Mike Flynn doing that. He was going to clean shit up. He was going to bust open all of the pedophilia. He was going to bust open all of the corruption. Uh, I said numerous times before, he was the first one to say, Hey, Obama, you're arming Al-Qaeda. I want off this boat. I don't want anything to do with this. I quit. Obama hated him after that. They wanted to make an example out of him. And they finally did. They finally did. This is all for the record. This is all out in the open, if you choose to read it. Like, I'm not just making shit up here. This is legit. Um... But people choose not to read it. That's their own problem. So, But it's a very interesting week. Um, so the Manafort thing is breaking now. The DACA thing should get resolved in the next couple weeks or months. Trump will do a series of soft extensions of DACA until we get to uh, the, right around the time that the elections kick up or the primaries kick up. And, and these politicians are running scared because they have to take a position right around the primaries. Um, and if they choose wrongly, they're going to get voted out, and it's going to be very funny. Um, so that's kind of where that's headed. Um, it's, it's, we're at the one hour mark now. I can save tonight. We can convene in the next couple days if that works. Let's do it. Let's do that. Um, I'm going to put the kids to bed, so we're going to stop, hard stop, but I'll publish this tomorrow. This is a good episode. Well. Did you, oh, by the way, by the way, and I'll stop, let me stop recording now. See you guys later. Um.